We ask now that you would tend to each of us wherever we're at. Many of us come in here hopeful this morning, longing to hear a word from you. It's been a rich and sweet week with you. And so we long to culminate the beginning or the begin the next week with um, a sense of your presence on our hearts. Others of us come in here languishing and tired. We're wondering if we can trust the one about whom we've just read. Others of us come in here, oh Lord, this is really one last shot that we feel like we're giving you. Because life, because our own circumstances, because our own sin or whatever else it is, seems to keep you so distant from us. But Lord, wherever we're at, we pray that you would come now by the spirit that we are about to look at. We ask that you would enliven our hearts, open them up, that we might see Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I am a sucker, uh, a sucker for a good commercial. And so I'd like to tell you about one that I saw not too long ago. Uh, the good ones, as you know, are quite pithy and they have this punch to them and they might actually convince if they're really good people to buy their products. You know what I mean? But I saw one that went like this. Uh, I don't use Old Spice body spray. Uh, that might be a surprise to some of you. I don't know. Uh, but I do love an ad about it that they ran not too long ago. One of my friends pointed it to me, but here's it is. There is this nice, uh, gentle, sweet uh, mother that you can tell carrying a basket full of laundry. And as she's walking across, um, walking across the front of the, the washing machine and dryer, she begins to tell us about balanced laundry strips that you can put in your dryer and reduce static cling and promote freshness. And then boom, suddenly a man comes crashing through the wall and he is, he's uh, shirtless, very muscular. He's on a sea and he yells, old spice body spray makes you smell like power. It's so powerful. It sells itself in other people's commercials. <laughs> the point being what? You know, that there are things that are so powerful that they can't be contained. Things so powerful that if you smell like Old Spice, fellas, you can be that way too. Well, propaganda aside, it does leave us, I think, with a salient point this morning. There are things that are so powerful that they can come crashing into our lives in really the most surprising of ways. And tonight, or today rather, I want you to begin to consider what Old Spice have to do with Pentecost, okay? And here it is. Earlier in the book of Acts, we are told from chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus, while still on earth, he has died, he has risen again, and he is now living within about a 40-day time period. And he's he's soon to return to the Father at an event called the Ascension. But before he ascends back into heaven, he looks at his disciples and he says this, wait Wait for the promise of the Father. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then a few verses later, Jesus says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And now, in what we've just read this morning, we learn That on this first Christian Pentecost, the promise was beginning to be fulfilled. You see, the day of Pentecost is not a day that, if we're honest, that many Christians think about all that much. I mean, what's the big deal, right? 
Is that something just kind of off there in the distance that we don't really need to concern ourselves with? But I would like to suggest to you that we desperately, we desperately need to recover the meaning of Pentecost and what it's all about. You see, why? Why? Because I think as churches and as individual Christians, we tend to think about budgets. We tend to think about staffing. We think of, tend to think about programs and missions and VBS and all of these wonderful things in hopes that the church will flourish and grow, both numerically and spiritually. And listen to me very carefully. All of those things are wonderful and important to participate in and to give our resources to. Absolutely. But as important as they are, there is no doubt that we can easily forget that it is God who builds his church. It is God who builds his church through the spirit. And that really is what the day of Pentecost is all about. It's about the ascended Jesus pouring out, crashing in even on his people with power, power to bear witness to the world. It is power with purpose. It is power to enable God's people, you and me, in Acts and right here in Fort Worth, to bear witness about the ascended Lord Jesus, Christ himself. And so what does this text today show us about how Jesus builds his church? I would like to suggest these three ways. First of all, we're going to see that the Spirit comes down. Secondly, we're going to see that the Spirit comes all the way in. And then thirdly, as you might imagine, we're going to see how the Spirit goes out. Down, in, out. We're going to take a look at how the Spirit does that and how Jesus builds His church in those particular ways. So let's take a look, first of all, at this idea of uh, the Spirit coming down. I'm going to be primarily looking at verses 1 and 2 and then verse 4. But let me say this today before we even get started. If you don't hear anything else I want to say, please pay attention. Wake up. I know I'm already boring. And, uh, and uh, look at me, okay? I want you to see this. Here's my hope for you today, brothers and sisters. That as Fort Worth Press continues to consider her future, that you would be blown away by the love that God has for his people. And that this would propel each and every one of you personally into further living a life on mission along with him wherever he goes, wherever you are in all spheres of life. That is my great hope for us today. And I'm praying that Jesus will do it. Let's take a look. The spirit comes down. Now, Pentecost was a feast day that happened about 50 days after Passover to celebrate the Lord's provision during the harvest season. You can go back and listen to a wonderful sermon if you missed it by Pastor Ben Graber at the, actually on Pentecost Sunday. You can go back and listen to that on your website. It's a very, very good one, and I highly recommend it. But here's what's happening. 120 people are all gathered together in a room. This is interesting. Can you imagine the church being only 120 people? That's it. I mean, y'all are what? That's doubling, tripling the size in this room today? Now watch what happens at Pentecost. That's what's amazing. They're all gathered around, and three spectacular signs, we're told, happen telling us something that amazing is going on. And the first is the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Why did this happen? Well, verse four tells us, look with me. Verse four says, and they, those that were in the room, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was the fulfillment of what Jesus had promised earlier, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And while none of us in this room were there, the promise still remains for you and me in the church today. The Spirit is the one who comes. The one, it, it is the, the medium in which Jesus baptizes. So, so the Spirit is the person that Christ gives us when we become Christians. He's from the Father and the Son, and, it's, and He unites us and connects us into Christ. Now, this is where I think many churches, myself included, get a bit sidetracked. Why? Because I think we tend to focus on the various phenomenon there in the text, the wind, the fire, and the tongues. And all of them are very, very important. We're going to look at them some today. But we miss sometimes when we focus on that, the main course. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever go to a nice meal and you don't eat your steak because you got full on bread? Okay. That's what... Let's read Pentecost and see see the main course. And what is that? Here it is. This is telling us that there is profound grace in here. It's profound because without the Spirit, none of us, none of what Christ has done for us is ever applied or given to us. So I'm trying to highlight this idea of Christ coming or the Spirit coming rather from heaven as it talks about. And why is this so important? I think the best way to describe it is to listen to uh, what John Calvin once wrote. He said this, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has done and suffered for the salvation of human race remains useless and of no value for us. You catch that? And he's saying, how does this get over here to us? How do you and me access what theologians call the benefits of Christ's redemption? Thankfully, the Apostle John speaks. Listen to what he says in 1 John 4, 13. We know that we abide in him and he in us. Why? Because he has given of us the Spirit. It's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit come from heaven that makes any of what Christ has done for you and for me real and efficacious in our life. That's your big $10 word for that. It makes it work. It makes it stick. It makes it not just out there, but, but real. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity who does that. You see, if God's presence does not come, right? If it doesn't come, we miss out on all that. Listen to what this means then. If God's presence must come to us, it means, as one pastor put it, that our greatest problems are not outside of us, but are inside of us. You see, our culture says this, doesn't it? The world around us, it's just in the water we drink, right? It says this, the problem is out there, and the answer to all your problems is where? It's inside of here. So what you need to do is just live out yourself, be your truest self, you might have heard that language, and life will go well, and that's how, that's how salvation is found. Pentecost tells you a no. It's the exact opposite. Pentecost tells you that the problem is in here. And the solution must come outside of us, to us, that we might be saved. 
Listen, here's a, here's a quick little illustration, I think, to show you a little bit about how this works out. I recently saw an award show where there was this A-list actress, and as she was giving her acceptance speech, she says this, you can't ever let anyone limit you. Don't ever let anyone tell you there's something that you can't do. Now, to be fair, I agree with the actress's sentiments and her encouraging thoughts, but we need to see that this is all over the place, that the problems in life are outside of us and the solution is within us and we just need to get it out. But I want you to see that Christianity says the exact opposite. It says that our greater pro- greatest problems in life are in us. Why? Because of sin, rebellion, brokenness. Because of us trying to do things by ourselves and say, God, thanks, I got this. I don't need you. That's the biggest problem that your heart and my heart has. And Pentecost reminds us of that. It says, if you want that fixed, it's the spirit that must do it. Here's what I'm hoping you'll see today. If you're not a Christian, if you're somebody here who is considering Christianity, maybe you're skeptical about it. First of all, not only are we glad that you're here beginning to live or to learn a little bit more about this, but I hope that you will see that this is a repudiation. This is an exact denial that Christianity is about just trying a little harder. That Christianity is about, if I could just clean up my act just a wee bit more, then God would have something to do with me. Nope. At its core, Christianity says, you're the problem that can't be fixed. And God must come to us. And He alone is the one that saves. As Jonah has said, salvation belongs to the Lord. Luke wants to show us that Jesus is building his people by pouring out the Holy Spirit to meet us in our need. And while it is an outside-in reality, it is not an in-and-out, touch-and-go power. Pentecost, you see, isn't a grocery store run for God's Spirit. No, Pentecost shows us that God's Spirit not only comes all the way down, but that it comes all the way in, too. Take a look with me secondly at what I mean. The Spirit comes all the way in. Highlighting here verses 3 and 4. Luke tells us that there's another extraordinary sign that accompanies the outpouring of the Spirit. He says that appearances, notice that phrase there in verse, in verse 4. I mean, excuse me, in verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire. It does not mean real fire fell on these people. This means that that's the best words that the physician Luke has to describe it. It's like as of fire. And why is that so important? Why is he saying that these these tongues of fire have come and rested on that very small church gathering that morning? What does it mean? Well, if you think a little bit about what fire means through the Bible, it will begin to give you a sense. Let's take a little... Let's take a little run of the mill here and see if we understand it. For those of you who are familiar with your Bible, you'll know what I'm talking about. Remember in Genesis chapter 15, what happens? God makes a covenant with Abraham. And God is represented not as a person, but what? As a smoking pot and what? And a flaming torch. In Exodus chapter 3, you remember that bush, right? What What did it look like? It was a ball of fire. And it represented God's presence there in the wilderness with Moses. In Exodus chapter 13, God's people are traveling through the wilderness and God is with them, is he not? But how do they know it? A cloud by day and what? A pillar of fire by night. And then in Exodus chapter 19, that 
that monumental event at Sinai, God's presence comes down and it touches the tip of Mount Sinai. And how do we know it? We see fire descend on the mountain. God's presence there. And then when the tabernacle, you remember this, was finished, the cloud filled it and fire remained in it. When it was time to move camp, up the cloud went and the fire representing God's presence that indicated for them to do so as well. And when the tabernacle gave way to the temple, King Solomon prays for the temple. You want to take a guess what happened? Fire fills it. All the way through the story, God's presence is represented by fire. And now here at Pentecost, do you see what's happening? Fire falls again. Fire falls again, dear friends. The presence of God falling on the new temple, the place of his presence, his people, the church, you and me. And this means that God's spirit, as it dwelled in the tabernacle in the temple, dwells now in Fort Worth Presbyterian Church. Like, just let that set in for a second. The God of Sinai here. The God of the wilderness here in you. One of my daughters, Evangeline, points me to this well. One day it was a storm outside. We were, it was raining. And we were just playing outside. She had her little soggy bottom diaper on at that time. It was really cute. And the twins wanted to play. And so we splashed around in puddles and flicked water on each other. And at one point... Evangeline just looked up at me when I was on the patio and she started screaming with excitement. Rain! Rain! Rain, Daddy! It's raining! And I love that because she had failed yet to lose the wonder that God has made a world where water falls from the sky. And what Pentecost is saying is this. God, God is in us. God in us. God in us. That's what Pentecost is declaring to you and to me. The spirit has fallen. Fort Worth Presbyterian Church, God in us. If that doesn't make you scream hallelujah, I don't know what does. Because that is exactly what we have. And what does this mean for us? How would this make a difference in our lives? Here it is. By way of application, two quick things. I want you to see that because of Pentecost, the Christian never again does life alone. Sure, there may be seasons of felt loneliness with other people, but the moment that you become a Christian, the Spirit takes up residence in your life. And you can begin to see experientially why this would matter. Why? One, take for instances. Take for instance certain circumstances in your life that are not just what we would have expected or hoped for. That could be the treatment that comes from being a Christian, but it could be just from living life under the sun, this side of glory. Think about it. The years of a prayer for a child, I just don't seem to be answered. Decades of a difficult marriage that belie the initial hope For so, so much more. Circumstances are strong persuaders in the contest of what is real and true, aren't they? They really are. They have a powerful way of telling us what is real and what is true. How could he be? Where is God? 
Is God here? Pentecost reminds us that our sorrows are not the last word on God's heart to us. Think about it like this. Moreover, we've all known at some points in our lives the limits of our own wisdom in the face of some major decision. Tell me I'm not the only one this has ever happened to, right? I don't know the right way to go. Do I take the treatment that the doctors advise or not? Well, both colleges are great. Which one do I say yes to? That new job, it it pays less, but it puts me closer to family. How, How do we know? Pentecost tells us that difficult life decisions and the limits of our knowledge do not compromise God's presence with us. Here is the profound encouragement, dear friends, for each of us. The triune God didn't merely just come to be with us. He came to dwell within us. And so we sing out of that great song, Great is thy faithfulness, thine own dear presence, to cheer and to guide. Why? Because the Spirit comes all the way in. But we're really only just touching about one aspect, just sort of scratching the surface, as it were, this morning, considering the coming of that spirit. For you see, the spirit didn't just come for personal experience, though he did. But that's not all he came to do. And we're going to see, thirdly, that the spirit, that Jesus builds his church when the spirit goes out. So let's take a look thirdly at this idea coming all the way down, in, and now the Spirit going out in these back verses, verses 5 through 13. The last of these spectacular, spectacular signs was that the people gathered were speaking in a variety of languages. So here it is. The sound of wind is heard. Remember, those are Jesus' own words. That's the sound of Sinai. Jesus says, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus begins to symbolize, to connect uh, the wind with the Holy Spirit's moving. And so now we get to see as more, not only that, but we get to see the tongues that are poured out. So what all is going on here? You see, the Spirit has been poured out. And these individuals from Galilee now begin to tell about the mighty works of God in various languages and tongues of men who are gathered in the city for that Pentecost feast. So we need to ask what the crowds ask in verse 12. What does this mean? And here's what I'd like to start with. Regardless of your views on what speaking in tongues is about and their continued presence or not in the life of the church, this text is telling us, Acts chapter 2 tells us that speaking in tongues are known languages from other parts of the world. And what this means is, is that somehow miraculously, these folks begin to declare to foreigners gathered in the city about all that God has done. And they're hearing it in their own tongue and they're like, what is going on here? Aren't these men Galileans? It would be like, it would be like if you took a mission trip to China or Afghanistan, or wherever else. And you began to hear people not just talk in English, but they were using words like y'all. Right? If they dropped the G's on their participles and gerunds, fixing, you know, I'm seeming like this, right? They begin to have a draw. And you would immediately go, what is going on here? That's, That's a little bit of the sense of what's happening at Pentecost. 
And the picture that you must see is not so much the sign itself, but the implications of what's going on. For those of you that are familiar with your Bibles, do you remember another moment where speech was very, very important? You've got to stretch all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. And do you remember what happened there? God's, the people on the earth were gathered together and out of their pride and their arrogance, they wanted to build a building to get up to God. And God has to come down to see it. It's so small, right? He has to come down there and see it. And when he does, the curse that he lays is he splits up the people from having one language into different languages. And those languages by people begin to spread and to cover the earth. And as they do, they begin to build their own cultures and have different people groups. And what you need to see at Pentecost is the undoing of Babel. It's, it's the people of the earth coming together at Pentecost, hearing these great things proclaimed. And what God is saying at Pentecost is this, that my new people are no longer confined to just Jews alone. You see that if your last name is Robinson, if your last name is Gutierrez, if your last name is Park, if you are non-Jewish, Pentecost has worked and it got you. And what that means is, is that Pentecost shows us the very heart of the spirit, that it is a sent spirit out to gather in the nations to make one people of God. Do you know that one of the most beautiful things happening in the first three centuries of the church was that it was multinational, was that it was pan-national, that it was multi-ethnic, that it wasn't all Anglo and white. You see, it looked like every tribe, tongue, and people. And what that did was a powerful witness to unbelievers and pagans and the heathen around them as they saw this, and it drew them in. It was the church's pan-nationality that provided such power to its witness in the world. And I think that stands as both an encouragement to where we are in our particular denomination in this day, but it also sounds like a, prof- a profound pat on the bottom to keep going. And I just want to tell you, keep going. Keep going. The Holy Spirit is on the move. But that's not all that he's shown us here. I want you to see that Pentecost was forming that multi-ethnic, multinational people of God that God promised long ago through Abraham. And therefore, Pentecost is about God's power going out to the nations precisely because God himself is going out to the nations to form that multi-ethnic, multicultural people of God. And therefore, to be people of Pentecost in the here and now for you and me, listen, means saying that you have been indwelt by that self-same spirit for the exact same purpose. Listen to what Jesus himself says. This is Jesus. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. The Spirit's joy, the Spirit's delight is to make Jesus known. I love what one one theologian says. The Holy Spirit is like the shy member of the Trinity. He kind of hides behind the curtain and he points at Jesus says, look at him. Don't look at me. Don't look. Pentecost unveils the curtain. And it says, take a look at what the Holy Spirit is doing. Take a look what he is doing even now in this day and age. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in Greek in chapter 14 and 16 of, of John. He calls him, this is a little bit silly, but it'll make sense. The paraclete. And that word has been tripped up as tripped up translators for the ages. It often gets translated as helper or an advocate 
or a comforter. And many of us are familiar with that that idea of the comforter because it denotes the idea of one sort of coming alongside for encouragement. But listen, if the word comforter brings up images of like a cozy, snuggly blanket, okay, and that that's what the Holy Spirit does, you've missed it. You got to go back to the old meaning of the word comforter. And for those of you who take Latin, you know what I'm talking about. It's cum forte, with strength. The Holy Spirit comes to put strength in you, to come put courage in you, so that you might be able to do the task to which God has called you to do. I love this illustration. Imagine, imagine that you're a basketball player. The clock is winding down with only seconds left and your team is down by one point. It's your senior year in high school, the championship game, and it's the last play. And you see an opening, you cross over dribble, break your defender's ankle. Not literally, that's, some, that's what the kids are saying these days, okay? You pull up the shot, the buzzer sounds, and just before the ball swirls, and just as the ball is swirling around the rim, it falls outside the basket and hits the floor. But good news, you were fouled. <gasps> so your coach calls a timeout, and you're ready. He comes out, you come over, and you know what he does? He's about to comfort you. And here's how it sounds. He looks you dead in the eye and he breathes life into you. And he says this, listen to me. He says, I have no doubt in my mind that you can hit these shots. You've played your whole life for this moment. You've been successful from the line all year long. Go out there and do what you were made to do. Crush them both. But because your coach is your own father, he gets down in your face He looks you in the eyes and he says, it's been my privilege to coach you. Even more so that I get to be your dad. If you miss these, that really doesn't matter. We're getting pizza afterwards anyway, son. I love you and you're a heck of a basketball player. You think that would put some strength in you? You think... Where the Holy Spirit is far more intimate with you than even the best of the fathers could ever be. And he breathes life into you, reminding you of who you are and says, you were made for just this. And what purpose is that? To go make much of Jesus so that the world would know just how wonderful and beautiful and how glorious he is. You see, it's comfort for mission. Go read Ezekiel chapter 36. The promise of the Spirit in the Old Testament being poured out in the last days is for the empowering of witness that the nations might know who God is. And the Holy Spirit's job description has not changed one bit. He has come to make much of Jesus to us and through us. You see, we can speak about the mission of the Spirit only because the Spirit is a spirit of mission. He goes out and he opens up the eyes of dead men and women just like you and me. So why does this matter? Why does this matter and have any effect on our life? Here's how. The church desperately needs a recovery of her identity as the sent bride by the Spirit. We desperately need that. You see, it's been said that you cannot have a mission without a church. And that is right. You need people, the prayers, the backing, and the place to incorporate people as they come to know and walk with Christ. No doubt about it. You cannot have a mission without a church. But do you know what Pentecost is telling us? You cannot, brothers and sisters, have a church without a mission. 
That is central to what God has called us to. And the recovery of our sentness will only be as robust as our understanding of the Spirit's work through us, both of His presence and His power in our lives. So yes, the church is in desperate need for a recovery, you and me, for things like evangelism, fueled, of course, by love and a genuine love for people who don't know Jesus. And I pray that that will happen. I want you to know your next door neighbors. I want you to eat with them, to pray for them for years if need be, and then to ask them if that you may tell them about Jesus. But that's not all. The church must become more and more involved with works of mercy and of justice, both individually and corporately, right? Whether that is fighting for those trafficked in slavery, the lives and the rights of the unborn, prison reform, the protection and care of the elderly and widowed, the single mom and dad, all of it Pentecost fuels. And this most certainly isn't only for those who are professional Christians or your elders or your deacons. It is true of each of you wherever God has called you to serve and where you to love. Whether that's wiping rear ends, whether that's making art, dealing with TPS reports, some of y'all know what that means, teaching math, managing others' wealth, on the ball field, in the neighborhood, in the museums and theater stages. Oh, that we would press up further and in by God's grace into what William Temple once observed. The church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. I sound like a good vision, Fort Worth Press. Man, it is, that puts fire in my bones. It puts fire in my bones. How about you? Come Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, in word and deed, all of it hinges on our understanding of what is happening right here at Pentecost. Do you know that you have this spirit in you, enabling you, church? If you're in Christ, here is how you can know. And this is where I'm landing the plane. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist tells us that when Jesus comes, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And fire there means the judgment for sin on those whose hearts are set against God and His purposes. When Jesus comes, in other words, there will be a distinction, a baptism of God's judgment In a baptism of God's presence. But none of us, sadly, apart from God's grace, ever wants God. And therefore our hearts are apart from Him and and they're never inclined toward Him. And that is not good news for any of us, is it? Until we read Luke chapter 12, verse 50, where Jesus says, I, I have a baptism not the water baptism that was from John. I still have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about his death. What was he talking about? He was talking about the baptism on the cross where he would be baptized in judgment for you and for me. And because of that, we can know with all certainty that the spirit is ours. Put a point on it. Jesus was baptized with the fire of God's judgment so that we can be baptized with the fire of God's presence. There is no pouring out of the Spirit without a pouring out of judgment. And because Jesus drank the latter to its fullness, dear friends, you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have God's presence to that same degree. And because you have His presence, 
He will enable you as you go on mission with Him. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Son, and yes, Holy Spirit, would you come and take these things that we have considered today? And would you put fire in our bones? Would you comfort us where we're faithful to you? Would you strengthen us where we're not? And would you help every one of us to be people who make much of Jesus, just like the Spirit does? Make us people of Pentecost, we pray, O Lord, for your glory. Amen.